welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. In today's episode, we will be discussing episode eight of this first season of House of the Dragon called The Lord of the Tides. This episode directed by Gita Vasant Patel, I believe, and in a very eventful episode it is. Later this week, also check in. We will continue to cover The Patient, the Hulu serial killer thriller, which is also approaching its finale. Remember to subscribe so you know when all these episodes become available. We'll also have later this week, hopefully, if everybody's schedules line up, we'll be discussing the state of affairs with Disney's handling of the Marvel and Star Wars franchises, catching up on Andor, a show we may be covering in more detail as it continues, as well as the finale of this controversial season of She-Hulk, and also the very entertaining Werewolf by Night Halloween special that came out just this past weekend. If you have any feedback, please reach out to us. Need some introduction at gmail.com. Drop us a review. It helps others find our podcast. And of course, most important of all, share us with your friends and family if you think they'll appreciate the conversation. Search through our backlog to see other shows we've covered in the past. Maybe you're catching up on Succession or Severance or Better Call Saul, just to name a few of the shows we've covered here in the past. So I'll be breaking down this episode by myself and then bringing in my sister for a conversation about some of the big themes and some of the big events that happened in this very eventful episode of television. Princess Rhaenyra and Prince Daemon. Mm. It's been so long since we were granted the joy of your presence. Indeed, yeah. your grace. They're not long enough to merit a greeting upon our arrival. I'm sure the queen had pressing business, my love. Mm. What can either of us know of ruling a kingdom? I do not rule, as you well know. My father and I are mere stewards of the king's will and wisdom. And how exactly is that wisdom expressed? Hmm? In blinks and wheezes. I'd be surprised if he could remember his own name or if you could. King Viserys's condition has worsened since you saw him last. <laughs> it subjects him to considerable pain on the advice of the maesters. Oh, the maesters, of course. It is they who keep him addled on milk of the poppy while the high towers warm his throne. Rhaenyra, if you would see him without it, almost blind with suffering. Oh, I have no doubt it was an act of the purest mercy, but tell me, for the king's suffering, did the maesters also prescribe the removal of Targaryen heraldry and the installation in its stead of various statues and stars? The emblems of the Seven serve only to guide us on an uncertain path, to remind us of a higher authority. And on the morrow, which authority will sit in judgment of my son's claim on his own inheritance? That would be mine. Ah. And the hands. But be assured the father is just and commands me to forget the accusations you have held in this room today. So we start things off. We're in Driftmark. It's been at least six years since we find out that Corliss has been out to sea and he's been injured. He has sea fever, some kind of fever. And he may not survive this, which, of course, raises the question of succession to the Driftwood Throne. The Driftwood Throne, by the way, legitimately made out of Driftwood. Vaymond, Corliss's brother, believes that he should be the successor because he is a true Valerian and has true Valerian blood. Because we all know that Rhaenyra's kids are not Valerian. But Rhaenys pushes for the king's wishes, which remain to have his grandson ascend to the throne. And it's the only card she has to play. If she loses Corliss, she has no one on her side anymore. And strangely, has to weigh aligning herself with Rhaenyra, potentially the murderer of her son. And Rhaenys also mentions the fact that the king 
has a soft spot for Renera. Master's been decided. By a man whose ambition has brought down on us calamity after calamity. My brother cares only for the history books. But what of the Valarian line? Is it to be snuffed out? Supplanted by the pups of House Strong? Driftmark is mine by all rights. And while I should like your support, I do not need it. The winds have shifted. The crown has good reason to take my side. My cousin the king would have your tongue for this. But it's not a king who sits the Iron Throne these days, good sister. It's a queen. From there we go to a beautiful shot of a tiny figure descending into a dragon cave, and that's Damon, who is retrieving three, three new eggs, count them, to add to their brood of dragons. And that's when he receives his raven couriered message that they are to return to King's Landing because there is going to be a conversation once again about the succession. Apparently, they could not wait for three days for Corliss to show up. That was approximately what Rhaenys had anticipated based on the distance of the previous raven they had received. But when you think about the logistics of this, I mean, it takes at least a day to pack. This doesn't all happen in a few minutes. You don't just pull up your orbits and book a flight to King's Landing. Although I guess you could do it on Dragonback, possibly. <laughs> but they're going by sea, of course. They're, they're Valerians. So it's almost like these ships are passing each other. <laughs> Corliss's ship is coming in as they're exiting. Regardless, they are on their way. Damon brings the news to Renera, who's with Luke, I believe, at this point, who's getting his high Valerian language lessons, and he can't get that pronunciation quite right. So confusing. Felled and killed, and everybody is off to King's Landing. We first see Renera. Damon and their entourage arrive to crickets and wind sounds. No one is there to greet them. This is pretty petty, but still understandable considering the animosity there between these families. They notice the castle has been remodeled. There is much less pornographic Targaryen tapestries and many more seven-pointed stars. We know Allison has these religious beliefs, the high towers in general. We go all the way back to, I believe, the second or third episode where Rhaenyra actually prays with her after her mom's death. And the high towers have gone whole hog, redecorating everything around here, putting seven-pointed stars on everything. And of course, this speaks a lot to the influence they have of here, of course. And of course, it is also the design style we will see in Game of Thrones, the original recipe, Game of Thrones show, which has its origins probably right here. Alicent leaves her boring high council meeting, yet another high council meeting. There's less of them as this show progresses, though, to meet with Rhaenyra and Damon, R&D. And she's intercepted by Eric. Not Eric, Eric get these names right. You know, I can't get these names right. They all sound the same to me. I understand. Alicent, I appreciate where you're coming from. She gets the horrible news that Aegon has been at it again and has raped his housekeeper slash nanny. And this is a really powerful scene here with Olivia Cook, where she's being sympathetic to this girl, but she is so morally compromised at this point. She starts with this sympathy, but then says, but you know, I can give you a little bit of gold. People might say things like maybe you brought this on yourself. Maybe you're trying to get attention for yourself. I know it wasn't your fault. I believe you. You do? I do. But what I worry about is what others might believe. You were alone with the prince, were you not? Yes. And no one else saw what happened between the two of you. 
if anyone else were to hear about this. I haven't told anyone. You told Sir Eric, <laughs> and Talia, and now me. And though I believe you were not to blame, others might not be so trusting. They might think you were trying to besmirch the prince, or worse. That you're the sort of girl that might have enticed him in the first place. And you know what happens to girls like that. I wasn't dream of anything another one to anyone. It's my all my life. I know you won't. This really echoes a lot of what happened during the whole Me Too movement where after the fact it was discovered that a lot of these serial abusers were protected by people who were outspoken feminist firebrands, for example. And meanwhile, we're counseling these predators and simultaneously meeting with the victims and cl- shutting down those stories. So there's a little shades of that there, some current events being shaded into the story. But more importantly, just shows the moral compromise when you think about Alice's very pure and absolute moral code early in the show, power corrupts. And here we see it in effect. And of course, the stinger on this scene where she provides the abortive tea echoes all the way back to all of the judgment that she rained down on Renera, and here she is facilitating the same. But she sincerely is upset about this situation, that she has been so thoroughly compromised, and she goes and calls out Aegon, smacks him around even. She tells him, you are no son of mine. Think about the queen. Think about me. Think about your wife. Think about how badly this reflects on all of us. By the way, his wife is his sister. Once again, another one of these crazy time jumps and one of these things that gets just tangentially transmitted to the audience, strangely, that he's married to Helena, his prophetess sister, and they have kids. (laughs) This poor girl was actually supposed to be getting the kids ready for the event. Another interesting scene happens here. Many interesting scenes in this episode in general. Viserys is ever worse. And Damon and Rhaenyra go to visit him. Damon can't even look at her. Damon can't even look at his brother. He feels so bad about this condition he's found himself in. And there's maybe some shame here too, when they mention the fact that the triarchy are resurgent, to which even Viserys is like, didn't we win that war years ago? And Damon's kind of like, well, maybe we didn't win it. Maybe we kind of took the eye, our eyes off the ball there for a little bit. But they're buttering up Grandpa as much as possible. We have another Aegon and another Viserys. That's right. Damon has completely overcome his erectile dysfunction and he is now popping out babies left and right. He had some with his previous bride. He's got two with Rhaenyra. And there's another one. There's another bun in the oven. These are ultra Targaryens, a.k.a. they probably have genetic defects, TBD. But not as many as Helena and Aegon's kids are going to have. The inbreeding is strong with those. Also love at this scene that Viserys, in all his pain, he asks for more of his tea, the tea of the poppy. And I love Damon's face, smelling it, looking at it, showing it to Renera. What's going on in this little tea over here? <laughs> Matt Smith just hilarious in this whole thing. And maybe this is the funniest episode we've had, intentionally or unintentionally, of this show. Luke and Jace have returned to the training court. Everybody's looking at them. Of course, there's been rumors swirling for years now. And we see that Aemond, one-eyed Aemond, is sparring with Sir Kristen and actually gets the better of him. This really impresses everybody, of course. This guy has really got his swagger on since he got that dragon. Lost an eye, you know, you lose an eye, but you get all that swagger. I think the trade-off is not so bad. Plus, you look pretty badass with the eye patch on. I got to tell you, overall, this is a win. We get an important scene between Rhaenys and Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra is still using all her soft skills. She's brought 
Rhaenys's granddaughter, of course, Rhaena. And Rhaenyras does her thing where she tells her the truth and lies to her at the exact same time. Says, I loved your son. She did. Loved him and respected it in her own way. And didn't kill him. Didn't kill Laenor. Once again, true. He lives. She doesn't know that, but <laughs> cold comfort for the mom. And also makes a very nice political offer here. Hey, let's marry these cousins off to each other. And all of a sudden, your bloodline now, you're close to the king. Your children will sit the throne someday. This looks like a win for everybody. I loved your son. You may not believe it to be true, but I did. I did not order his death. Nor was I complicit in it, I swear this to you. I'll make you an offer. Back Luke's claim and let us betroth Lena's children to mine. Bela will be queen of the Seven Kingdoms and her sons will be heirs to the throne. Rhaena will rule in Driftmark and the seat will pass to her and Lucera's children in time. A generous offer. Or a desperate one. What does it matter? Rhaena sees this for what it is. She says a great offer, a kind offer. Or a desperate one, or both. And she drives home the point again that she'll be alone. Once Corliss is gone, her protection is gone. Depending on this decision today, she may have no allies. So this might be her best lifeline. We have another important conversation here between Viserys and Rhaenyra. Interestingly, at first, she, he confuses, this is important, by the way, he confuses Rhaenyra and calls her Alicent. Last week, he called Alicent Emma as he was leaving that patio to get his early sleep time in. Alicent is there to beg for him to somehow intercede in the proceedings. She realizes now that she really doesn't want this thing that's been given to her. She thought she did. She doesn't want it anymore. But now she's trapped by it. And she tells her dad, if you really believe in the prophecy of Aegon, you really think I'm the one to shepherd this land, you got to help me. You got to do something. And this moves Viserys. Viserys says, my only child <laughs> to Renera. Ouch to all those other kids. Then again, those two sons of his are sons of bitches i gotta tell you and i don't really have much of a read on helena yet so can't say much on her behalf but boy the two boys not so great might speak to their parentage here sometime after that viserys has to go to his daily amputations at the hands of the meisters fun 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 for everybody and tells otto that he wants to have dinner otto just thinks he's demented at this point he says it's still morning he's like no tonight you idiot <laughs> i'm not that far gone and of course that leads to hearing the petitions for the ascendancy to the Driftwood throne. Otto's there before the throne, says, in this matter and in all matters, I speak the voice of the king. My queen, my lord Hand, the history of our noble houses extends beyond the Seven Kingdoms to the days of old Valeria. For as long as House Targaryen has ruled the skies, House Valarian has ruled the seas. When the doom fell on Valeria, our houses became the last of their kind. Our forebearers came to this new land knowing that were they to fail, it would mean the end to their bloodlines and their name. I have spent my entire life on Driftmark defending my brother's seat. I am Lord Corlys's closest kin, his own blood. The true, unimpeachable blood of House Valarian runs through my veins. As it does in my sons, the offspring of Lenor Valarian. If you cared so much about your house's blood, Sir Baymond, you would not be so bold as to supplant its rightful heir. Now, you only speak for yourself and for your own ambition. You'll have chance to make your own petition, Princess Rhaenyra. 
do serve Eamon the courtesy of allowing his to be heard. Veyman makes his case and just alludes to the parentage of the heir to the throne. Renera interrupts him going, so is my son's also Valerian. And he doesn't come right out and say, maybe this is like kind of, she's trying to egg him on. Allison puts her in her place. You know, you'll have your turn to make your case. Let's not interrupt. Judge Judy puts a stop to all that. And then this is maybe the highlight or the low light of this episode. It's kind of hard to say. Kind of the show peaking and falling at, at the same moment. Just as Renera starts making her case. The door's open, and who should it be? The king. And the king's not being carried in. He wouldn't let that happen. He's making quite a show of this. Very, Really a drama queen here. Viserys really knows how to turn on the volume here for the drama. And that's all he's got at this point. And he walks so slowly, so painstakingly. This is very funny, by the way. I found it very funny. He's got like a leper's mask on. A gold one, though. Very fancy. And this is just so protracted. But then it starts to, over the course of this, is effort that Patty Constantine is pouring into this performance. They start to kind of win me over and I guess maybe that's what this whole performance is about Viserys his intention and as he's walking up the stairs he drops his crown someone comes to assist he thinks it's the knight again he's like I got this I got this but it's not it's Damon very sweet Damon picks up that crown is like come on you got this you got this so he gets up there gets on the throne Otto steps aside and he's like are we having this conversation again we have already decided this we've already had this conversation but you know who would have the most insight into Corliss's actual desires in this case would be his wife what does my cousin Rainus have to say about all this so now the bull is suddenly in her court she thought she was completely powerless just a few scenes ago she now can sway this decision and she aligns herself with Renera and makes it public the wedding plans which of course now puts the onus on Renera to follow through so she's making her moves here everyone's making some moves and the king's like great this matter is settled again Again, he puts a little <laughs> a little sauce on that word again. But Vaymon is going to have his say. He's going to be like, you know what? I've had just about enough of this. He starts skirting around the issue. He's going right at it. It's coming from side to side. Damon's like, say it. Say it. Uh, say the word. Say the word bastard. And he does. You break law and centuries of tradition to install your daughter as heir. Yet you dare tell me who deserves to inherit the name Valari. No. I will not allow it. Allow it. Do not forget yourself, Payment. That is no true Valarian. And certainly, no nephew of mine. Go to your chambers, you have said enough. Viserys is my true-born grandson. And you are no more than the second son of Driftmark. You may run your house as you see fit, but you will not decide the future of mine. My house survived the doom, and a thousand tribulations besides. And gods be damned. I will not see it ended on the account of this. Say it. (sighs) 
Her children are bastards! And she is a whore. The king says, I should have your tongue taken out for that. To which Damon goes, he will he keep the tongue. I'll take the rest. Chops his head off. The top of his head, anyway. His tongue is lolling out there. Just for a little added humor to this whole thing. Grotesque humor. After all of this, the king is not looking too good. It's looking a little green around the gills. And Otto goes, quick, quick, tea of the puppy for the king. But the king says, no, I do not want to fog my mind. I must put things right. Still wants to put things right. Rainus goes to see the Meisters about her brother-in-law's body. Says, bad luck to see a dead body. She goes, I've seen so many of them at this point. What's another one? And the Meisters are doing something here, preparing the body. They're cutting him open. Is this an autopsy? Is there a question? Was it a heart attack? I think we know how he died. And then we get to the dinner. This is a great scene, a really great scene. This episode's very uneven. There's some funny parts that I think weren't supposed to be funny. It's getting a little soap opera in some respects, especially with these time jumps. I feel disconnected from the characters sometimes, especially with these new actors. But this is a great scene. This dinner scene is really, really outstanding. And you see, at this moment anyway, Viserys at his absolute best. The one thing he has now is his pathetic situation. It's his somehow, after all this time, preserved innocence. And somehow this works. This is, we will finally see in this moment that this has been his power in a way this whole entire time. That he's maintained peace in a lot of ways by being so naive. But maybe he's not actually that naive. This is his power. This is how he manipulates people. And he does it again. He goes full Crypt Keeper, drops off that mask and shows everybody his beautiful <laughs> face with his missing eye and everything else. Right before dinner, everybody. Come on, Grandpa. Right before dinner? Come on. You think it's bad when he loses his dentures. Look at this. And he basically says, have some pity on me. Like, look at this. Just this pathetic old man. He's only in his 50s, by the way, according to the book. But life's been rough. Really rough. Or this progressive disease has been. Tonight, I wish you to see me as I am. Not just a king, but your father. Your brother, your husband, and your grandsire, who may not, it seems, walk for much longer among you. Let us no longer hold your feelings in our hearts. The crown cannot stand strong if the house of the dragon remains divided. Set aside your grievances. If not for the sake of the crown, and for the sake of this old man, who loves you all so dearly. And he says, for no other reason, if you cannot work things out amongst yourselves, just do it for me, just for me as a person. And this seems to work. Renera toasts Alicent. Alicent toasts Renera. She'll make a good queen. And you see, for a moment here, these women looking at each other, remembering their childhood bond, wanting to rekindle. Can they somehow get back to that moment in their lives? The answer is no. <laughs> and it's all because these younger generation, their antagonism from their youth is still percolating and it's still unresolved, to say the least. Aegon, right in front of his wife, is trying to make the moves on the next princess-to-be. Damon's daughter. But Jace gets the better of this whole 
transaction by first of all winkingly complimenting him and teasing him a little bit and then dancing with Helena. But things get even worse. When they bring out the boar, they place it in front of Amond. And they all start snickering because they remember the whole pig joke. Remember the pig joke they made on him when he was younger? They should know better than snicker at this guy because he has turned into straight on serial killer now. And he goes, hang on a second. I got one more toast for everybody else. A toast for my strong cousins. What a strong group of friends we have here. They are definitely one thing you can definitely say about those guys. They are strong. And of course, they're all at each other's throats immediately again. And Amond, Amond, Damon, Damon. Oh, you see, Amond, Damon. You see how these names work on this show? Amond is giving big Damon energy here. Big Damon energy. He's, by the way, much taller than his brother now. <laughs> the younger brother has now shot past him. He's a better fighter. He's got a, the biggest dragon in the land. He's got big Damon energy. But things get pretty much contained. Damon actually follows them out to make sure things don't kind of bleed out into the hallway or beyond. And Renera does still try to patch things up with Alicent. Alicent actually asks her to stay. And she goes, you know what? These kids, these crazy, crazy kids, I'm going to escort them home. Make sure everything's all right over there. But I'll come back. I'm dragging back. And we can spend time together. And I can spend time with my dad. And Alicent, I think, honestly says, I'd like that. The king would like that. It'd be good. They know the king is not long for this world. So things are still mostly positive. Next thing we see, Maseria a.k.a. the White Worm, gets a visit from one of the servers at the dinner. And, of course, that person, that server, is full of rumors. So, of course, we've mentioned this before on the podcast. Everybody in the general public knows exactly what the hell is going on among all of this drama internally because somebody knows, one of the knights knows, one of the cooks knows, one of the maesters knows what's happening. They prepare a tea or someone delivers it. And that rumor goes up the food chain and eventually ends up in the hands of the purveyor of the rumors. And of course, that bleeds out into the among the common folk as well. So everything's known. There's no mysteries as to what's going on. And I'm sure that's how it was in actual medieval time as well. There are spies everywhere. And then we get to our final scene. We saw Viserys at his best. <laughs> now we see Viserys at his worst. As I mentioned before, he's been confusing one woman for another. And now he's confused Alicent with Renera. He's flipped it over from before. And he's like, Renera, I need to finish that conversation I was having with you. Allison's like, huh? What are you talking about? And he starts talking about the vision and how he does believe that she's the one to do this. And he mentions Aegon, which of course is his son's name. Also the person who saw this vision years ago, the king. And it's also his grandchild's name now as well. There's another Aegon. So confusing with all these Aegons. But she hears Aegon. And more importantly than that, she hears, it is you. You are the one. You must do this. Once again. He's talking to Renera, wrapping up the conversation from before. But who's hearing this? It's Alicent, because he's so high on poppy tea, or just in death throes. And she reads that as, I know what you're telling me. Our crazy-ass son, Aegon, has got to be the king, and I'm the one who's got to make it happen. And then he breathes his last breath. We see, one more time, the blade. The blade with the prophecy written up. And as we cut the black, on his last breath, he says, my love. Who's my love? His daughter, I think. And that's the end of the episode. Next week, all hell breaks loose. And we'll just see how bad it gets. We only have two more episodes before the end of the season. And I do not think we're going to have a time jump. We're probably going to jump directly into the immediate aftermath of the death of the king. And of course, the beginning of the battle for the throne. So that is the plot breakdown. Now, I'm going to talk to Celia about what she thought of all this. I'm sorry. I wanted to know 
If I believe it to be true. Believe what to be true, my king? Oh, don't you remember? Aegon. Our son. Egon. To unite the realm against the cold and the dark. It is you. You are the one. You must do this. You must do this. I understand, my king. All right, Celia, so I broke down the episode before. I have a bunch of questions for you based on this episode, a very, very eventful episode. My first question, totally non-Game of Thrones related, was did you see the trailer for The White Lotus? Did you see season one of The White Lotus? No, and I saw the trailer for the new season, and I am so interested in the show now. I put it on my list, and I'll just binge watch it. Yeah, Sona and I will be covering that next. That will be the next show we cover together. And it starts in uh, three weeks, immediately after House of the Dragon wraps up. And that'll be our next show. But yeah, you should catch up on it. It just won a whole bunch of Emmy Awards. It's a comedy, question mark. But uh, you'll see when you watch the show. It's uh, definitely entertaining. And it was a show funny. We did not cover it originally. We were just talking about it here and there when we had the podcast. And it came out immediately after uh, Mayor of Easttown. And I was trying to think of what show am I going to cover next? And we really should have done White Lotus because it came out. It did like nobody watched it. It was a total flop. And I'm like, boy, man, we really dodged a bullet because uh, we could have been talking about that and no one's watching it. And then by the time it ended its run after seven weeks, it was a huge phenomenon. (laughs) So I was like, damn it, we missed it. (laughs) Anyway, it took off and uh, won a bunch of Emmys. And I'm sure this season will be huge. What else? Did you hear the conversation online last week about... That episode, we talked about how much we like the look of the episode, you know, this day for night look. And everybody's just like, I can't see anything. It's too dark. And just like that was the internet reaction was that everybody was just complaining. And (laughs) critics, too. Critics were complaining, too, like they couldn't see anything. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I did not have problems with this where I did agree, by the way. There were a lot of people who complained about that, like episode at the end of Game of Thrones in the final season where it was the the uh, Army of the Dead showed up. And that was like black on black on black. I was like, I, I literally had to rewind and just kind of squint and be like, I think I know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have the experience this time with this one, which I found ironic that people were complaining so much. No, about. I liked that aspect of it, actually. Yeah. I liked that it looked like they were in natural light as the day was dimming. It's exactly what everyone is not liking. Well, I think what people were complaining about, and it was not my experience, by the way, 
was that I think, I guess, depending on the contrast on your TV, and this does happen sometimes, like different screens have different appearances, that the characters were basically just silhouettes because, you know, you had that lighter sky and then they were so dark that they were just silhouettes on the screen and you couldn't even see their faces basically, right? But I, that was not my experience. I could see them clearly. So, so in this case, it just depends what your TV is able to do for you. Well, I, I, I think that's across the board. I think that that episode, by the way, some of those Game of Thrones episodes, the big ones were available. They, they would be simulcast in movie theaters the day that they premiered. So I think that that night episode I was talking about was actually playing like on IMAX. And I think if you saw it on IMAX screen, it probably looked great. But watching it at home, I couldn't see anything that was happening. So We have a TV that does that what everyone's complaining about, which is why I'm thinking, is it the TV? Yeah. I think um, so. That we put in Andrew's room and bought some really expensive thing on sale. Of course, had to be on sale, but it's, I could see every detail of everything that happens in that scene, like we're in a movie theater. So for me, it was great. But if I was watching it on the TV that we took to Andrew's room, where everything looks great, except for really dim scenes, I would have maybe had the same feeling about it i'd also tell people to turn off that those auto settings like your tv has auto settings for example if this if the room is bright if there's like sunlight it automatically adjusts itself if there's a lot of contrast on the screen it'll automatically adjust i would recommend that people turn all those automatic settings off and just watch this darkest scene of a movie or something and just play with the buttons till you get the look you want and leave it. Don't, don't, don't turn the auto settings back. Yeah, it's a shame because this series requires almost very good TVs to appreciate how amazing it is. In this episode that we're going to discuss, Damon, between it looks like two rocks, yes, they're, they're mountains. Yep, yep. And... If you're not paying attention, it just looks like these two mountains, but you see that there is a person in there climbing down to go get the eggs, the dragon eggs. We don't realize that's what he's doing yet. Yeah, yeah. The scene itself is like a poem. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and I agree. I took a note of that as well. I love that they're showing the scale of this world. You know, it's something that they do really well that I think people get wrong over and over again. You know, I'm just forcing myself, forcing myself to watch that Lord of the Rings show. And some of the design work is really beautiful on it, but it all just feels so manufactured or, you know, computer generated. It just feels so artificial, I should say. Right. And it does look huge. You know, they, there's some really beautiful vistas and stuff, but it still feels so artificial. Whereas I think that's what I've always liked about Game of Thrones. You know, there's dragons and everything else, but it's so earthy and dirty and you feel the sand under your feet when you're walking around in that show. It doesn't feel like it's all just people staring at green screen and earthiness to it. And I think a lot of that is because they shoot on location. And now I'm going to digress one more time. And, you know, you talk about how much people like, for example, the Star Wars shows, even the Mandalorian, which is all shot in the volume in these like these screens, these very high definition screens. And it's a very cool technology because you can basically put people anywhere they want to be. Pretty cool stuff. But there's something that's still not tactile there, as opposed to Andor, which I'm watching right now. And Andor, which is shot on location, it just feels realer because it's shot on an actual location. This is not rocket science, people. <laughs> I love Andor. Don't be so in love with your special effects. Like just I love it. That is such a great... Uh... We can't digress too much, no, and I haven't whole seen the whole thing, yeah. but my gosh, I agree. And one more teaser here that I will be having a conversation about Andor later this week, so uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. That'll be a bonus episode at somewhere along the line. 
so many bonus episodes I want to get out, uh, but I guess we will just work through them a little at a time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with this episode, like I said, we I broke down the plots earlier. I found that a lot of this was pretty funny, <laughs> unintentionally, I think, oftentimes in this episode. But let's work our way from the back and then forward, because I think we'll touch most of the things there. So, of course, the really me meaty stuff, those last few scenes. First of all, the very last scene, here we have the king misidentifying Alicent as Reyna. He's going back saying, hey, let's wrap up that conversation about the prophecy, okay, Renera? And Alicent's like, huh? <laughs> who, 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 what was that? Uh, Aegon, uh-huh, okay. Aegon's going to be the next king. So she's getting a little bit of this wrong. Then again, his head is all foggy. He's like literally moments away from dying. But I feel like she's doing it on purpose too, because if a demented man was dying and telling me something and not really addressing me directly... I would know that he was sending a message, but I would question if it was to me. And she is not doing that. She's like, oh, yeah, he said the word Aegon. Okay, wait, what about Aegon? Oh, yeah, yeah, that fits. That's a great fit to, you know, my my plan that I have going on. I'm going to go with that. What I would say to that is that she's definitely hearing what she wants to hear. But at the same time, she has no idea about the prophecy. So she's hearing Aegon. Aegon is their oldest son. So he would be the next uh, in line. He's not saying this is addressed to Rhaenyra. He's just saying literally, <laughs> he's looking at her and saying, this is in your hands. You need to do this. And she's talk he's talking about Aegon. And once again, some of the things he says doesn't make sense in that context. But I mean, but half the stuff he says doesn't make sense anyway. He's mumbling this whole entire episode. I, don't get me wrong. I agree that she's hearing what she wants to hear. But at the same time, I don't think she's doing it maliciously. I think she honestly believes that's what he's saying. Well, we'll see because she might have been a little excited to get this perfect fitting information to her plan. You know, well, it's like, wow. So I wonder, but I could be projecting because if that was me, I'd be like, was he talking to me? Wait a second. I think he said this and that. Isn't that great for me? I'm like, well, I mean, he did say that. Like, I would be acting like that if, if I was her. So I don't know how innocent she's being. I'd be doing it intentionally. Well, I think she's still a little torn here. And I would say that we have to wait and see how the next episode plays out. Because I can imagine definitely in the next episode, we can see a scene where she's with Otto explaining this to him. And she can even say he was out of his mind. He was dying, you know, and Otto's like, what are <laughs> yeah. you talking about? Just do it. You know, like, what, yeah. what are you going to do? You got to hand this over to Ranera and hope she's going to be nice to you after you've literally openly called her kids bastards. <laughs> you know, like she, yes. she may not be your best friend, you know, but regardless. Otto would know. Otto would be like, who knows if he was even talking to her? It's a convenient thing to believe. And it's also what they probably want to believe. Definitely what Otto wants to hear. Right. So, Yes all the worst things about um, Viserys right there. But we also get to see him at his best, right? Like that previous scene, I got to say that he is encapsulating all his strength as a peacemaker, right? He's using his personal biography. He's using that family lineage. He's using his naivete that everything can be just good, man, kumbaya. I think that that might be an act that he's putting on to some extent because that's how he gets people to do what he wants them to do. So I think we see that he can manipulate people with that earnestness. And I think you see it at its best. Like I said, then you see it at his worst when he's just like, oh, yeah, mumble, mumble, mumble. <laughs> he blows up the whole entire kingdom after like struggling so hard to keep it together, you know? Poor thing, though. Like, what a mess. He walked in with no eye yes. and 
a crown like chafing his head. It yeah. was a poor man, like with a cane and one arm. He's a drama queen right there. He's like really playing it up. I mean, they could have carried him up there, <laughs> but he's was just like, I'm going to walk. The oh, my God. I was laughing so hard. It was crazy. But I then can it gets do it. It's kind of sweet when is uh, when Damon tries to help him out, you know? You know, I don't even know if Damon could stand watching this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I'm again, I'm projecting, but like if this was happening in my world, I'd be like, I'm going to help you. Just let me. Can't watch this. <laughs> right. But it's still sweet. By the way, at that dinner, you know, there really is, seems to be a reconciliation. There seems to be a cooling between Renera and Alicent, but it all goes wrong because of this toxicity among the younger siblings and what a mess all of they are, right? So we've jumped ahead six years now and uh, we see that Aegon, who's still like womanizing, like rapes this, uh, you know, their maid basically, uh, and Nanny as well. And then someone's got to get the kids dressed now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> turns out he's married to his sister that that whole thing did play out from last week, right? And they have kids. Those kids are going to be pretty messed up for many, many reasons. <laughs> that is so weird. Is and so the weird. sister, I started listening to everything she says after yes, we talked yes. about this. She says some pretty crazy stuff. She's like, like beware oh, the beast beneath the boards, right? So I don't know what that means. But Yeah. And then she also said, it's not so bad. He'll mainly ignore you, except <laughs> right. sometimes when he's drunk. Exactly. Well, that's, so that's a brutal, wow, brutally honest, nice dissection of their uh, marriage, right? Well, I think she was predicting the marriages that were all set up at, on this episode. I don't think that's a prediction. I think she's talking about her marriage to Aegon, right? That basically... Every every once in a while when he's drunk, he has sex with her, and that's how they have these kids, right? That is so, so <laughs> disturbing. I, she, I think that, that was not a prediction. That was just her talking. Don't worry when you get married. He'll pretty much ignore you, except every <laughs> once in a while when he's drunk. I think she's just being uh, uh, honest about her own marriage. And did you see her dancing? Yes. She dances like a two-year-old. <laughs> I think She's like, hop, hop, hop. No, I think he was trying to, you know, help her out, like play along with her dance. That was a great dance. At that same dinner, you see a little of this uh, needling between these siblings, but they still seem to be like kind of playing, like, I'm going to be the next king, but don't worry, you'll have your time, you know, kind of trying to play somewhat, you know, a little nasty, a little bit nice. But then the boar gets brought out and they're all snickering like, ha, ha, ha. Remember that thing we did that, that pig with Amond? They really should not be messing with Amond, <laughs> by the way. No, what is wrong with them? And then Amond starts calling them those strong boys, those strong, strong boys. And uh, which, of yeah, course, he's gets... calling them like weak. No, he's calling them strong because their dad is strong. Remember, that's his last name. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Why? Why? I Have you ever seen like... these boys? Oh, my God. This is so funny. <laughs> you, I, you know what I was thinking? No, well, I, I was also doing a few other things at the time to uh, excuse my stupidity here. <laughs> but basically, when they were doing that, I was like, oh, no, now the kids are going to start fighting. Oh, what? they're not strong because they don't play with swords all day. Like I was, I was like, that's not nice. That's way, way smarter. The reason everybody in the room think about it, everybody in the room is just like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> they know exactly the next word that's going to come out of his mouth. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, that it could go both ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's, that's the, I mean, that's the intention I think there. I love it. It's so funny how these names work on this. Like, you know, like for example, Laris, and then you think about people who have been conniving on the show. You have Littlefinger and you have Varys and you take the L and you stick it on Varys and you say Laris, right? Like that's <laughs> kind of the, that's kind of the naming structure here on the show. And uh, it, it's so funny. You have Amond, 
right? So it's Amon, Amon, Damon, Damon, right? So it's like Amon, <laughs> like a game. <laughs> so Amon is like serious Damon energy, right? <laughs> at the end of that episode, the mini uh, Damon, or maybe not mini, because he's I think he's maybe taller than Damon at this point. He's like taller than everybody. He's also a good fighter, right? Can best Sir uh, Kristen on the battlefield. Oh yeah, he was great. So yeah, I mean, losing an eye, not such a bad trade-off for everything else. And he looks good with the eye patch. So hey. <laughs> oh yeah, that's so great having one eyeball. Yeah, he he's good. He's adapting very well. I don't think even think he notices that. What else happens here? Everybody starts making their case. Interesting that when Rainus has a chance to speak up, she ends up siding with Renera because it's the only play she has, right? With Corliss out of the way. She doesn't have any kind of claim, right? With that, especially if these kids are considered bastards. So the only thing she could really do is align herself with Renera. And Renera has uh, said that they can marry off the cousins, which of course then puts her in a pretty strong position, right? Because like now her grandkids will be king someday, right? Or queen. And also not to veer way off because it's still the same kind of scene. She is going to have kids with Damon. He has to kill his stepkids at this point. So Damon has to kill his stepkids because his kid's like a triple Valerian. And then on top of that, there's the weird correlation where the bully kids with the dragons and stuff and the ones who are masturbating out window, like the rapey one, <laughs> they are brothers to Renera. Oh, yeah. Like it's weird. Like when I when I think really hard about like these are her brothers it's not just the queen's kids. The physics of this is fascinating to me. I'm like, and then her kids are the same exact age, but those are their uncles. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of all that, how about when she's meeting with her dad and she's basically telling her dad that you need to speak up for me. I thought I wanted this. I don't think I want this anymore. And now my life's on the line. Dad, you got to do something to help me out. And he says, my only child. <laughs> He's just, yeah he's just negating their whole the whole rest of everybody else who came after my only child <laughs> exactly it's such an interesting combination because they're all inbred in yeah. some way this is why we need like diagrams and stuff yeah. <laughs> game of thrones had all those little maps with the diagrams that's what it's like with the kids here well they're cousins but they're uncles but they're also like a brother of a grandson, you know? They're all intermingled. <laughs> you go, they're all intermingled. <laughs> they are. They, they, they're really intermingling now. It's like, it's <laughs> like making a cocktail. Break it down. It's like making a cocktail. <laughs> yep. A DNA cocktail um, with very few, mm. very few ingredients. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sounds great. And then of course we have Vaymond, uh, Corliss's brother who wants the claim to the Driftwood throne. You know, he says, hey, look, I'm a Valerian. These people are not Valerians. It's <laughs> just stating the obvious again. And He's of course, like, clearly. When, yeah. And when he loses the case, he tries to pussyfoot around the issue, trying to call it out without calling it out. But when he loses that case, he decides to say his, <laughs> make his case out loud, <laughs> calling him bastards, calling her a whore. And Renaris is a whore. A whore, yes. Ugh. And of course, that gets his head chopped off. I love the... Damon, by the way, being like, say it, say it. <laughs> <laughs> Just wants to hear the word so he could do the the deed. Goodbye, Vaymond. We barely knew thee. Truly, I don't really know this character at all. 
I did find it. Didn't you find it weird that they kind of skipped the whole like a Aegon is now married to his sister and had kids? Like again, it, I feel like there are big things that must have happened here in the middle that just got to skip. You know, it's it's kind of weird where they're deciding to split the story up. Like I can't think about Aegon with his sister. Ugh, so awful. <laughs> they're so crazy together too. Speaking of Aegon, I think that a really interesting scene in this whole thing is Alicent dealing with, you know, talking to this girl, having empathy for her, but doing uh, the expected thing in protecting her family by, you know, paying her off basically and threatening her uh, reputation if she does speak out. And then, of course, her reaction with her son afterwards, like smacking him around <laughs> and calling him no son of mine anymore. Right. So I thought Allison was just going to have her killed because. Yeah. I'm projecting again. I'd be like, okay, look, this girl is not very bright because she can't count. She said she didn't tell anybody, but then she told all these people and then she told me and she's really, really emotional. Like she's not able to keep her cool. She's going to melt down. And so I have to kill her. She didn't do that. She paid her off. A, that's true. But on the other hand, remember that if this girl ends up dead, for example, then she has told other people, other girls have also been sexually assaulted. It's like a Harvey, Weir, <laughs> Harvey um, Weinstein situation here. <clears throat> you know, other women have had similar stories and they've probably been paid off too and then kept quiet. If all these girls just ended up dead, then, you know, we see it working. That spy network is always working. All of those people who work in there are, you know, spying and selling their secrets to the white worm. All of that would leak out. So, and it doesn't matter because they're king, queen, whatever. But remember, now she's going to try to make a power play to take away the crown from who has been, you know, openly just the same day her dad just basically made a proclamation, her, her king, I should say, made a proclamation that Renera is still the queen to be, right? This woman's trying to make a, you know, make a move here. And all of a sudden it's like, by the way, she kills all her workers if, after her son rapes them, right? Like that's not going to make her very popular when, you know, the war starts breaking out and they, people have to pick sides. Yeah. But at the same time, she's the queen. This girl means nothing to her, nothing at all. I don't even know if it's empathy. She was looked like, oh no, you know, this is awful. This thing is, this person cannot keep it together. And this guy had to rape her. He had to rape her. Like what a pain in the ass my kid is. I have to go now pay this girl off. I have to threaten her. I have to then go tell him like, he's not my son anymore. I don't think she was like, poor thing. I think she does have empathy for her. I mean, she's annoyed by this situation, of course, because it's probably happened many times. I do think that she really does have these religious beliefs. And I think that is something else that's really um, chafing against her having to make all these moral compromises because, you know, you see her praying with Renera back when her mom died. And Renera, obviously, you know, this is like the Targaryens believe that they're gods. This is like the whole mythology of the show. The Targaryens believe that they're gods. They really don't believe in the gods. They kind of, it's like the Roman empire where they kind of let in Christianity. They're like, okay, we'll let Christianity in because if we don't, these, you know, zealots are going to like overthrow our government or, or, or our control of the people. So we'll say everybody's Catholic, but we really don't believe any of that stuff, right? We're still pagans. And, uh, but they kind of played along to keep people happy. Um, the high towers are real believers, right? They like put like these seven pointed stars everywhere. And by the way, that seven pointed star decoration of King's Landing is what we see in Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones show, right? So this is like kind of the beginning of that turn uh, where the kind of the religion is more open in the society. I think, but I do think that she's a believer, right? She actually does have these beliefs. So 
I do think she feels bad about doing these things, but you know, power has corrupted her, right? She has to do the things that keep her in power as well, right? So that's just how it is. Anything else you have about this episode or maybe a general opinion of it? I, my complaint on this show, I have not felt this way at all. I've defended the show this whole entire time. And now I kind of am buying in at some of the criticisms I heard. Critics get to see a lot more of these episodes. I think they saw up until this episode when in the before the show even premiered, they saw like the first eight episodes. So I do kind of see that now with these time jumps, it is starting to feel a little soap opera to me, right? Because we have less and less connection to these people. We just see them like 10 years later and then something crazy is happening. And it does start feeling a little soapy. But I do hope that we have less of these jumps in time. But in general, I thought this was a really good scene. I thought the dinner scene was great. One of the best episodes in the show. And uh, yeah, overall, I was entertained. What did you think? I don't mind the last time jump. They all separated at that time. They went and did their own thing. They already have these relationships that we're seeing six years later. So I'm okay with assuming a lot of stuff in this way as opposed to when they had the last time jump before this, where I didn't get to see any of these relationships even begin to evolve. I didn't mind this last time jump at all. I agree that this time jump was less of a nuisance to me than the previous one, but I think it's just like, you know, just the fact that we just had a time jump two weeks, was it two episodes ago? And now we got another one. I, I mean, they, I hope they don't continue to make these big time jumps. I hope they do start to settle in in a story. And I'm guessing, honestly, that by the time we get to the end of this season, we're going to be at like full out war. And this maybe this whole season ends up being like setting the stage for the next season uh, and the ones beyond that, I assume. But um, that all remains to be seen, I guess. But I don't really want them to just keep like jumping 10 years if that's going to be the case. But I, that's probably not what they're going to do. I just... You know, hope it's not the case. <laughs> Just leave it at that. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Um, overall, I loved this whole episode. It was great. It was magical. <laughs> magical. I loved it. I yeah. was like, oh, I love this show. It's so beautiful. And I love this very play-like way. I, we've talked about this before, yeah. that they have putting this all together. And it sometimes feels like Shakespeare. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.